If you're ready for freedom from the grind, then passive income from real estate investing is the best way to get you there. If you don't know where to start or what to do next, then the Rent Roll Radio Show is the best place to get you there. Join us while we discuss the best practices, strategies, and mindset you'll need and give you actionable content to get you from where you are to where you want to be. Hey, Rent Roll Radio. This is your host, Sterling Chapman. And today we're joined by Brian Green with Green Springs Capital Group. Brian, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining us. Sterling, how are you doing today? Thank you for having me. I'm doing good. Brian, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Where where, where do you live? Where are you from? Uh, what did you do before real estate? And what are you doing today? Sure. So I'm located in Saratoga Springs, New York. Uh, it's about three hours north of New York City, same distance west of Boston and same distance south of Montreal. So we're kind of right in, the, in between those three major cities. Um, so, uh, I'm originally from central New York over near Syracuse, uh, and I came to the area, uh, for college. I played football at the university of Albany. Um, and then, uh, you know, that was maybe 20 years ago at this point, but, uh, we've stayed in the area ever since. Um, you know, I guess my story in business started right after college. I went into, uh, actually retail and I started, uh, operating and, uh, owning my own chain of Verizon wireless stores. Um, so we kind of. I kind of grew up a regional chain of stores that at one point got to 23 of them uh, throughout upstate New York, Vermont, and Western Massachusetts uh, until we ultimately, I sold out to a larger competitor in 2014. And then I took the the big dive into, into real estate. Um, who'd, you, who'd, you sell, who'd you sell to? Uh, it's a company called, I'm not even sure if they're around anymore, but they were called Go Wireless. Um, um, I don't think they it, are. T- TCC is the big third-party retailer, and uh, I spent a decade in telecom. Okay. Uh, TCC <laughs> is the big third-party retailer these days for um, for Verizon, I believe. Yep. So at yeah, the I, time, at the time, Go Wireless was out of Las Vegas, and I think they had around 400 stores across the country. So they were going mm-hmm. around buying up market share. Um, so they were. It was kind of perfect timing for me because they're a strategic buyer. They, they basically overpaid on the multiple because they knew that if they wanted to get into the the, the market that we were in, they had to buy us sure. out. Um, so it was just the awesome. right place at the right time. And I'm, I'm very thankful that I'm no longer in, in retail sales. <laughs> Same. Yeah. <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I actually met my wife in retail sales and um, when... And she thanks me every day that I, I that she doesn't have to do that anymore. <laughs> I know people talk to me now about like, oh, you're a property owner, you're a landlord. Uh, isn't it terrible to deal with all the tenants and the problems? And I'm like, you have no idea how much easier this is than than running, you know, a chain of retail stores with all of those different employees and moving parts. <laughs> it really is. It really yeah. is. <laughs> so so you, you sold and then and then parlayed into real estate. So how how did that what was your first step there? Yeah. So when I sold, I didn't really have a plan because I wasn't actively trying to sell my company. They, they pursued us. Um, so, you know, once we did it, you know, we had a, a good sizable uh, chunk of uh, cash and capital in the bank. Um, and I was kind of looking for my next, next uh, kind of direction or industry that I want to get into. Um, I'm a guy that's never worked for anybody else since I was mm. you know, working part-time in one of those cell phone stores in college so that I knew I, I knew there was no way I was going to like go into corporate America and get a job. So I started uh, just thinking about different ways that I can invest the capital that I had from the sale of my company and ultimately started reading about real estate and it made a lot of sense to me. So maybe three or four months after the sale of my old company, I started buying small multifamily properties. 
um, just trying to figure out the business on my own. So I was doing the property management. I was interacting with the tenants. I was the fool that was, uh, you know, I was my traditional mind was like, all right, landlord, I'm going to go mow the lawn. I'm going to buy a snowplow. Like I'm going to do all this stuff, which was so stupid. Um, and I had no business doing any of it. Um, but anyways, been, I, that's how been, I that's how been I, there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? That's how I figured everything out. Right. I figured out how to talk to tenants. I figured out, you know, what leasing documents I needed. I, I figured out like what contractors I needed to source. And then over time, uh, that was in 2015. So over time, I just started stacking those multifamily properties on top of each other uh, and started building out a team. And then, you know, at this point today, we've got a team of maybe 15 or 20 different employees and 1099 contractors. We operate a property management company. We're doing development deals. So it's kind of scaled out of that. But those early days is kind of where I figured out everything out. Awesome. How did, how's the property management company going? So we only manage for our, our own properties. So pretty well. <laughs> is there so is there a reason that you're only managing for your own properties? I think it's just organic and that's how I started it. Um, you know, in the, innately, I think um, I'm an operations guy from, from mm -hmm. the core. So like ever, ever since I went back to like running the retail stores, like it's all operations, it's inventory, it's scheduling, it's efficiencies. So when I was, you know, getting into real estate, you know, that's kind of what I knew. So I knew how to build out companies. So I just started building out the company to support the properties that I was buying. And at first it was nothing more than me doing 99% of the things. And then I hired out somebody else to do showings, right? Cause I hated to do the showings. And then over time, it just kind of built out and out and out. And now we have, you know, a construction component internally. Um, and we've got, um, you know, a whole type of leasing staff, but I feel like I'd rather control the process than outsource it to somebody else. And we're completely vertically integrated. So like we're in one geographic area, so we can, we can do it. Yeah. Every, uh, we all, we've all had the same growing pains over the years and every single issue I have is, is where I don't have control. It's the, the, the third party crappy property manager. It's a third party crappy contractor. It's the third party crappy this. I'm right there with you. We, we, we do a, we have a property management company now. We have a construction company now. Mm -hmm. um, we we can't, you know, we're we're spread out. Um, you know, we've got a complexes across the country, so we don't we don't manage and do work on all of our apartment complexes, but we we definitely control what we can on the on the local side, and it has yeah, been I, a complete game changer. And, and even when I'm, you're, I'm probably yeah, you're probably experiencing the same thing. But even when you gain that control over certain elements you still talk as a company about like what your problems are and your, you know what your issues are and how you're going to grow everything that we still talk about all the pain points we have are still all the areas where we still don't we're still outsourcing them right right so right it's marketing it's uh landscaping and grounds like these are all the pain points we have because we're not doing it ourselves somebody else is doing it and it's inadequate and and or we don't have this they don't have the skill set that we want so all the pain points continue to be what we're not doing ourselves yeah yeah <laughs> it's nuts i think that's just business but um you know that's what we find is we can is we continue to grow awesome well so so tell us about the types of projects you're doing yeah so today um we're doing a multitude of different things so our our primary business um strategy or or, or methodology is to do heavy value add uh, construction type projects so i don't even call it value add anymore i just call it redevelopment so we'll go and buy older apartment buildings, usually small to mid-sized uh, properties, uh, you know, anywhere from, you know, 
a million dollars up to three to four million dollars, uh, you know, total project costs. Um, and we'll go in and we'll turn over, you know, a lot of times the entire tenant base will spend something like 40 to $50,000 on every single apartment, making it all brand new again. Um, and then we basically burr it back to ourselves. So once it's done and we've reestablished that new value, we go and get, uh, you know, new financing on it, uh, pay back all the money we have into it. And then uh, we have a brand new building that we want to operate long-term. Uh, you know, we're trying to build out a portfolio, um, but we want to be able to recycle that same cash over and over again on the same properties. Awesome. Um, so the redevelopment is the primary business. And then now we're doing ground up development as well. So we kind of have these two, two wings of our growth expansion. Um, so uh, internally, we have our own contractors on staff and we have a, a core group of subs that do a lot of the work on our redevelopment projects. And now uh, this first foray into ground up, we're outsourcing the GC work just because the scale is a little bit past what our capability is right now. Um, but we want to be able to do, be doing both at the same time to build out the portfolio. Awesome. So well, what kind of challenges did you come? It sounds like, like uh, we've kind of half answered the question already, but by, by you're just skipping the challenges. But my, my, my initial thought was like, what kind of challenges are you seeing transitioning from a value add type of construction to a true ground up development? Cause those are completely different animals. I'd yeah. love to get into ground up development. I'm just scared and don't know anything about it, you know, whereas I know, I know value add backwards and forwards. So I'm just curious, like, like how is like, does your value add experience translate well over to ground up or is it such a different animal that to some extent? Yes. So it does in the, in the way that I know, you know, I can, I can accurately predict what the value of the building is going to be when I'm done. Right. Anybody can do that. That does what you and I do. We just you look at the rent roll. You kind of figure it out what it is. A lot of it's projections, but it's pretty accurate. The um, the part we don't know, obviously, was the general contracting part, which we're outsourcing, as you said. But the third component to this, when you get into ground up, you start bringing in a whole other element of uh, bureaucracy and political uh, will or or lack thereof. <laughs> for back. So I mean, that's what I'm afraid of. When yeah. I hear development, it's like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to spend three million dollars on a piece of land that I don't know if they're going to let me build on yet. Right. So st the strategic way to do this, if you can get away with it, is like we are currently now um, we have had this piece of property under contract since June of last year. Yeah. And we are still working through entitlements. But the entire contract is contingent upon us getting approvals. That, um, that's that's what I've heard is the solution yeah. for that. That's not always possible. Like you're never going to be able to pull that off in like downtown Manhattan, but like, you know, you're right. just going to kind of eat it and hope and you're taking the risk profile as, as a developer. Um, we're still getting a little bit of that. So I didn't buy the property yet, but um, we have exhausted, you know, at this point over probably a quarter of a million dollars working on entitlements and drawings and engineers mm -hmm. and architects. Um, and, you know, it's, it takes a ton of like patience and determination, right? Cause you and I are, um, you know, when you're, when you're entrepreneurial types, like you don't have, a, there's not a lot of patience there, right? No, not there's no room for it. There's no yeah, room the, for it. Yeah. You have to make quick decisions. And then when you go into this field where you're trying to get something approved and it's all administrative people that work for the city or the County, like there is no sense of urgency there whatsoever. Um, Jeez. there's more of a sense of protect myself, delay this to make sure we have all of our boxes checked. Then there is like, Hey, this guy wants to spend. $10 million building this complex, we should probably just let him do it. Like that is not even within the realm of their thought process. So like for me, 
type A personality, I got to kind of, it's been, like I said, over a year, a lot of different planning board meetings and zoning variances. Like you just kind of have to. Man, I just, you you just seem like you have a better temperament than me. I don't know that I could make it through the process, man. I just, (laughs) I lose it, you know, and, and I don't know, I guess it's different city by city, state by state, but where I live, if my toilet went out, if my, like at my house, it, like you know what I mean? The commode stopped working. I say commode. You probably don't know what that word meant. I think that's no, I've heard it before. Southern yeah. grandma <laughs> word. But like, if my toilet went out, me and my dad went to Home Depot and got a new toilet, and yep. came home, and my dad helped me change the toilet. Like, the city wants me to go file a permit and pay them a fee and have them come inspect that. Yeah, like that that is the that is the official code. And I'm like, dude, I can't even like really. But that's where we're at in life. Yeah. So we run into a lot of the same stuff, which touches us, you know, on the ground up, we're hiring outside professionals. So all of our, all that stuff will be taken care of by them, the architect and the engineer and the GC, but on development stuff where we generally have to get a permit as well from the city, when the rules are so obstructive that they require permits for simple things like changing a toilet out, what it does is guys like us that are out redeveloping it. We're just like, okay, how can we submit this permit? generally speaking, or do we even have to? Because maybe subjectively, this doesn't really require it, right? So then you start like in there in the gray world, where do I need a permit or not a permit? And then like, you know, you always hedge on the side of, I guess we don't need it. Like it's just, it's a cosmetic upgrade, right? So like, we're not even going to bother. So that's what it does though. When the rules are so obtrusive, then then people just stop getting permits. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what did you accomplish? I I don't know what the, what that means, but um, you know, Hey, it's, um, it's a learning, it's a learning curve, but you kind of have to work through the process to figure out what you do and what you need to ask permission for and what you might just, you know, say, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. Now I'll submit and we'll go forward. And so let me, this is kind of another one of my fears um, on the development side. What, what is something that I don't worry about as much on the, um, on the value add side is, you know, we do heavier value adds, but we don't ever drop occupancy usually too low. I mean, so like usually the bills are paid. My my in my mind, when you're building and developing like ground up, I mean, you're talking years of spending money with zero coming in. Like how is how is that even structured or sustainable? So are you talking about ground up deal or the yeah, gra- the ground up? I, I mean, I know the value adds. We do we do those. Like at least some money's trickling in to help pay the bills. Yeah. But um, so two things on that. So we have on multiple occasions on a redevelopment pro- men projects brought the occupancy down to zero um, wow. to, to accelerate construction. So we're not afraid to do that. And a lot of times it pays off because you can get things done in six months versus two years. Um, sure. you get yeah, we're doing that. stage. Yeah. Right. It's, it's um, harder to change the tenant base when you do it in stages as well. Sure. But the lending, I mean, depending on the size of the project, the lender and the type of lending, they don't always let you do that, right? Like Fannie's not going to let you drop below X occupancy, no. you know? Yeah, I mean? it's, all, it's all local banks. You got to have flexibility of a local bank. Um, so the the other side of it is the um, um, the ground of development. So on that, obviously, there, we're going basically 18 months with no revenue, right? So you have to raise on the front end. So, um, you know, we're syndicating uh, the current one, we're syndicated it. So we just have to make sure that you're raising your holding costs as well as all of your construction costs and all your soft costs, because you're going to exhaust all of it basically with some margin of error. And then you're not going to get any income until, like you said, everything's done. (laughs) 
So it's a long drawn out process. So we're not going to get, I mean, even as owners, we're not going to get paid a dime until like, you know, year two or three. Um, so it's just all in until, until you get a big payout out and then you have it, a brand new building. On moving so, it, so with your ground up developments, you're going to, just like the bird, you're going to keep them or you're going to sell them. Yeah, we're going to keep them. So yeah, on that one, we kind of went with, um, I don't know, you might've heard like the, kind of the infinite return model, right? So even for our investors sure. that are, are investing in the thought process is, as soon as we're done and we're stabilized, we're going to refinance Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac um, at the new valuation, return everyone's capital. Um, and mm -hmm. then we're going to put it in our portfolio and our company is going to manage it long-term. Um, so what I don't, I know I don't want to turn this into a syndication conversation, but what I normally don't like about the new, the common syndication models, it requires you to sell it, right? Because if you don't sell sure, it- the five year to get the, yeah. yeah. Because otherwise your numbers don't make any sense, right? Because right. you're too low, your returns are too low. But if you can give them all their capital back and that now they have a little more patience because you know they're not right. there's no closure exactly and and so i was talking to brandon turner and ken mcelroy about this and ken doesn't ken ken never sells he's never sold anything he just he refines and he goes he goes and you know what he goes people don't want to sell like like we're so conditioned by these private equity groups right that the model is Hey, five year, double your money, 20%. This is how it works. He goes, and so we've got, we've got these private equity groups from New York coming down into all these apartment and, and like, that's kind of trickling down to how we operate. He goes, but the reality is the, the, like the retail investor guy, the guy that I'm raising money from that Ken's raising money from that Brandon's raising money from like what, what everybody really wants is an income stream for life. Right. Yep. Like they're not, I mean, it's true. If you sell it in that five years, you, you, you know, you can maximize the IRR and that's, that's kind of how they analyze the deals. But if you hold it in, indefinitely, I mean, that's what you're stacking indefinite like cash flow, And that's like, that's what everybody wants, right? At the end of the day. No doubt. And the other thing that's never factored into the IRR is when you give them their money back, now they have to go pay tax, right? So your IRR is not really, a, it's not a real number. Like, I give you back hundred grand. You, gave, you might have invested hundred grand. I give you back one hundred and fifty, whatever that calculates out to. But in reality, on that fifty grand, you're paying long term gains. So um, you know you just you're creating kind of a problem for your investor by giving them their money back because now yeah, they're like, yeah. oh, there's nothing else I can roll it into because I don't want to. I don't have any use for it. Like I, I like the income. Sure. The point. Yeah. Sure. Our our last cash out refi, one hundred percent. We just happened to be. I mean, by luck, we were doing another raise. Mm -hmm. in the middle of our last cash out refi execution and a hundred percent of our investors said, okay, what do you want me to do with it now? Like, well, you can give it back to us for this other deal. They all did. Yeah. 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 I mean, so you, you constantly have to stay on that hamster wheel too, where you're kind of always sourcing new deals, right? Because if you're going to buy something and sell it in five years, then what? Like you've got this whole organization, you got to keep feeding your organization by keep continuing to buy things. Whereas instead, if you're able to hold them, you don't really have to buy as much um, because you're, you're still going to maintain the asset. Absolutely. So what's next for you guys? Um, a lot of it is uh, expansion and kind of uh, growth of our, our company, both the investing portion of the company where we're doing capital raising and, and the bigger strategic thing and also our property management company. So I think I meant in, a, in the new development, I mentioned that we outsourced the general contractor role. Um, but for our redevelopments, that role is my brother. Uh, my brother's my business partner. So kind of the long-term vision is for him uh, to um, expand his capacities so that he can be the GC. 
which means everything is in house even further to our point from before, right? Um, I'm ground up developments because if we can bring that capacity in, then there's kind of no limits to what we can buy or what we can build. Um, so right now he's uh, actively working with like a, you never hear of this in our in our world, there's always like business coaches and mindset coaches. I said, no, I said, you just need a general contracting coach. So no, no, no. I've, I've yeah. actually been researching them all week. Yeah. Yeah. So we found a guy locally that we actually were friends with. We played college football together and he does it on a bigger scale, but for a company. So, um, you know, he's going to, he's going to act as his coach. And then he's also, and the GC we hired for the project, you know, obviously my brother's going to sit in on every single meeting and learn that, you know, basically document everything. Um, so the thought process being that we can kind of, um, grow even faster if we can do it internally. That's awesome. So, um, is there different types of GC license for commercial versus like residential? Like, is there a different type of licensing to for building a ground up apartment complex versus building a neighborhood? You're going to, you're going to, this might blow your mind here, but in New York, there is no official license for a general contractor. <laughs> There's a license for an electrician, for a plumber, for specialty trades like that. But to be a GC, um, there is no official license, which is is crazy since we're in New York state, but, um, I'm sure in the New York city that they do require that, but in the rest of the state, so there's no licensing whatsoever. Nice. So you said you're going to use a general contractor. Are you going to use any of your own guys as subs, even though you're going to outsource the general contracting model, but here's, here's a question and I'll, and I'll, I'll lead with why I'm asking the question because I'm trying to, this is a, a lot of times why I have the podcast. So I can ask smarter people than me how to solve my own problems. So I've got a remodel license, right? My construction company, because in, in Louisiana, you, you don't you don't need anything for a remodel license. You can do a job up to 75 grand with, you know, insurance, right? And, okay. and, and, a, and, a, uh, and a stamp of approval from the, the state, which we got, right? To be a builder, to do jobs over $75,000, you, you need a, a, a builder's license, which is a really, really comprehensive test that's going to take six months to study for. So I've got somebody that wants me to do, uh, they got an eight plex, you know, the job is going to be more, the total job is going to be more than, than $75,000. Right. But do I have to do the whole job at once? Can he hire me to go do a roof? And then next week, can he hire me to come back and come do a unit? Sure. You know what I mean? These are the, (laughs) and, 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 or is the better route to say, cause like I've got all the laborers, I've got all of the subs. I just don't have the GC builders license. So is the, is the correct route to get a GC builder, pay him a freaking GC builder fee and just use all, have all my subs work under? I don't know the answer to that question, but um, I think it depends on your situation. So for us on this project, we are not going to use our existing guys that are mm-hmm. working in house or probably most of our subs um, only because the scale of the re- of the new build is larger than what we're, what we're used to. Um, mm-hmm. It's could they do it? Yes, but it'd probably be much slower than if we just use the subs that the GC gotcha. doing. And, you know, the cost of capital, uh, obviously with rates going up and the holding costs when you're making zero revenue to your point earlier, yeah. uh, speed is kind of the most important thing. Um, yes. So if we get built in 12 months um, instead of maybe it would take us 18 or 24 months by using our own guys, then the obvious choice is to do it in 12. Absolutely. 
that's a that's a that's a great strategic point that a lot of people miss sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the DIYers, you know, it's like it's like well, great. I mean, that, that's cool. You saved two thousand dollars rehabbing the house yourself, but it took you four months. You lost a thousand dollars a month in rent. Like, no, I know. I still have this conversation with my brother all the time because we're measuring. <laughs> efficiencies of contracting and how long it's supposed to take. I'm like, okay, I get it. Like we can do this many apartments per month, but how do we do twice as many? <laughs> like, right. so we can move through the building twice as fast. Like it, the, the profits are way better. Uh, so Absolutely. I'm always pushing that envelope, but it's a, it's kind of a, a push and pull all the time. Absolutely. So I want to hop over to our radio round real quick. Um, I just got three questions for you to help our listeners get to know you a little better. The sure. first one is what's your favorite book? Uh, so this changes all the time. I, I read all the Same. time every morning. So I, my current favorite book uh, that I read this year is called the, the wealthy gardener. Um, hmm. I don't know if you've read that or not before. I have it's not a, a mindset, uh, type book, but I've never read a book in my life that has the gr- a greater culmination of like outstanding quotes and like one line type things. So the purpose of the book is he, he weaves through the story of, you know, he kind of uses gardening as a metaphor for life and for success and for business and for development. So he has all these type of anecdotes. He's talking about how, um, you know, gardening versus this. And, and it, it's really just, a you know, each chapter is very short, but like the book is phenomenal. Like I wrote, I read it and I was like, this is the greatest book I've ever read. You know, that'll change next yeah. year. With another great book, but it was really good. Um, and the, the, author, the author is, I've never even heard of the guy, John uh, Soforic, S-O-F-O-R-I-C, um, but fantastic book. I'm sold. I'm yeah. going to read it. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite quote? So this one's, um, I'm not a guy that really, really memorizes quotes, but uh, my favorite is always, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Teddy Roosevelt's quote of the uh, man in the arena. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of long. I mean, I, I could, I can read it. You don't off. need it. You don't need to read it. Uh, no, that's yeah. great. Um, yeah. I will so, put it in the, sh- we'll put it in the show notes. I've actually, uh, I've ordered a, a man in the arena print, uh, to put nice. on the wall. To the point on that quote, I, so when they read it or, uh, you know, you know, the quote, cause you're putting it on your wall, but he talks a lot about critics and not, not listening to critics. That's basically the, the consensus of the, don't listen to people that sure. are, that are just criticizing you. Right. So I kind of take take advice from people that you don't want to be like. Sure. Right. And that's what I mean. Like I take the quote kind of to a, to a, the the flip side of it is like, whatever you want to be in life, whatever you want to accomplish, whether it's, um, you know, success in business or being a great father or, um, you know, real estate or fitness or whatever, like don't take advice from people that aren't actually doing that. Like if you wanted to be as healthy as you possibly could, or be, you know, extremely Mm -hmm. Would you go ask a guy that just completed an Ironman or would you ask your uncle who, who hasn't worked out a day in his life? Like, right. I feel like in life, too many people take advice from people that are just have no expertise in the, in the field. So like, why would you listen to them in the first place? So I take that quote kind of literally, I know what he's talking about critics, but I kind of flip it and thought and think about like, you need an expert. Like if you want to be an expert in something, go ask somebody that's an expert. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love it. Uh, and last was, what do you do outside of work? What, uh, what do you like to do for fun? So I'm kind of a crazy fitness guy. I do um, awesome. intense CrossFit workouts. Um, I go to like a local gym here who is uh, the gym is run by actually the guy. The guy just finished third in the in the world in like the master's division. Um, awesome. So I, I go down and work out these guys that are, you know, I'm 42 now. So these guys are 20s. Some of them are in their 30s. I mean, the guy that won that is my older than me. 
But I go down there because, you know, I think it's important to uh, obviously be physically fit. That translates you know, for me completely over to my mental and kind of emotional sure. wellness. Um, sure, sure. But I also feel like it's important to put yourself in that room, just like you do in business or in masterminds, where you're going to get you're going to get beat up a little bit. Right. And go down there. Yeah. I want to go down there and I want them to beat me um, mm -hmm. because it's only going to make me better. If I just work out at the YMCA or something, and I'm I'm by far the fittest guy there that's not helping me at all like so i want to go down there and so my when i'm not working my my main focus is on fitness and it's a huge part of my life yeah fitness, fitness and exercise have always been a huge part of my life and never having anything to do with my physical appearance it has <laughs> always been um it has always been mental and spiritual and just health like yep. extra it's just it's I can remember my dad bringing me to the gym before school when I was in elementary school. And it is a habit that I've kept up with all these years. And I mean, it is when I'm having a bad day, it can turn it around. You know, if I weigh wrong, it can turn it around on the days I don't start with a workout. I, I know it. And everybody around me knows it, you know, um, it is, it is such an integral part. So I, I definitely feel you there. Um, I don't, I, I spent maybe two days in CrossFit. Um, I don't know why CrossFit wasn't just didn't jive with me. I've done a couple of half Ironman and several marathons, and uh, but I really just love lifting weights in the gym. Yeah, um, I used I used to lift heavier ones, but now my shoulders and joints and stuff as I get older. So now I just go and lift lighter ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I feel you. Um, good. Well, how can our listeners find out more about you? Get in touch with you. Invest with you. Sure. So our website is greenspringscapitalgroup.com, uh, or they can re reach out to me on Instagram uh, at greenspringscapital. Um, either one of those places, uh, they can send me a message, happy to help or, or talk through uh, development further or any other aspect of real estate or, or uh, fitness, I guess, now that we just touched on that. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Brian, well, thank you so much for joining the show. I really enjoyed the conversation. I learned a lot. Uh, I know our listeners are going to learn a lot. And, and when it comes out, I'm going to listen to it again and take some more notes. So uh, thanks for having us and look forward to keeping up with you on your journey. Great. Thank you, Sterling. Thanks for having me. This episode was brought to you by Crestworth Capital. If you're a busy professional and ready to make passive income from real estate investing, then go to CrestworthCapital.com where you'll be able to download a free copy of our ebook to help you get started today. Until next week, happy investing.